All right, well, welcome to the fourth session. I'll do a little overview of what we're gonna talk about. Um, we're gonna cover the other, I think, five different marketing ways besides the farmer's market that Nick and Kirsten talked about that we use to move our produce. Um, so we're just gonna go through the pros and the cons of the different methods that we use to move our produce. Um, farmer's market and CSA are our two biggest, I don't know, probably 90% of our income is through those two. And we have others that are, we have others that are a smaller um, kind of on the side to move excess that, that we have after the CSA and farmer's market. Okay, we're gonna start off with stores. Um, we haven't done a whole lot with stores, but right now we've got um, two small grocery stores that we're dealing with, and we have we have dealt mostly just with the small um, local stores um, that are more promoting a local produce. We we have tried dealing with big chain kind of stores, and it's just a big hassle. So, okay, so. So we're going to share the cons and the pros of the uh, of our different methods. So with stores, the one of the cons is that they're not willing to pray, to pay as high of a price. Um, they want more of a markup, and it just seems like we sell stuff at a higher price at farmers market, even like the end price. Grocery stores just don't get as high of a price, so their price might be a little lower and then they want to mark up on top of what we sell it to them for. Um, with a store, you can't just explain that you grow with organic methods because you're not there to share that. So if you're not certified organic, your stuff will just be bunched together with the commercial, you know, it might be on a local shelf, but nobody's going to know that it's been grown organically. So you have to go through the hassle of um, being certified if you really want to get the prices of organic produce. So that can be a con. And the large chains are very difficult to get into. We tried um, to get into a large chain store and the insurance that they required was, was like, I don't know, $2 million insurance and stuff and it was just a huge hassle and we tried for a long time and it just wasn't worth it. So those are some of the cons of grocery stores. We'll go to pros. Generally with a store you'll get decent orders, pretty large. Um, they move more of a product than you would maybe at farmer's market in a week just because it's there all the time instead of just a few hours. Stores will be pretty consistent as long as you have it and it's something that they're using. You know, with the stores that we're working with right now, the main thing I'm selling in stores this time of year is carrots. And I just got a few stores that say they want 50 pounds of carrots a week. And I just deliver it, send them an invoice, and I don't have to um, talk to them each week, wonder if they're still wanting it that week. It's just a very consistent way to move. Um, low maintenance, meaning that 
you don't have to you don't have to really have much interaction. You know, I talk to them, see if it's a, a something they'd be interested in selling, and if I get a sale, I just like I said, I just do a delivery once a week and send an invoice. And there's not really anything more than that. And it'll get your name, your farm name out more if people have been in a store and seen your farm name and then they come to farmer's market, it's, I don't know, it kind of puts more of a name on your farm. They've seen you in a store. They feel like it's good produce. So even if people aren't buying your produce at the store, they're still seeing your name. Everybody that comes in there is looking through the produce section will see your farm name. So those are, those are some of the pros, the bigger pros that we saw. Restaurants is another way that we have sold produce. Most of our restaurant sales are through a food hub that we'll talk about um, a little bit later. But we have dealt directly with restaurants a little bit and we're trying to get into it more. I'd like to deal more with restaurants. But restaurants are harder to deal with. They're quite a bit harder to deal with. Um, finicky, they, they are very specific with what they want. Um, we had a situation earlier this summer where we had had a store that asked for arugula, baby arugula. They wanted like 15 pounds or something. And so we'd cut it, we thought it was good, delivered it, and they're like, well, it's, you know, it was maybe four inches long. They wanted it like three inches long. And so they didn't want it. And so then you're going home with $150 of arugula. So if you, if you really know what they want, they can be a very, very good, but they can be harder to deal with. High maintenance, you have to, you have, to have a really good um, interaction with your chef. You gotta know exactly what's he, what he's looking for. You gotta contact him every week and you know, let him know what you have, see what he wants for the week. Um, and it's a, lot more, it's a lot more hassle to deal with restaurants um, you got to have that, that communication with them. And they can be unreliable. They can also be pretty consistent and pretty reliable, but they can also just kind of drop you. And they don't seem to really feel bad about just not wanting your product. We had had a situation a few weeks ago where we had a restaurant that we'd been dealing with for, I don't know, probably two years at least, They've been ordering head lettuce. We've been delivering over 200 heads every week, and they they wanted it every week, so we've been doing it. I mean, it's been a couple years. It was very consistent, and just a few weeks ago, they changed their menu and they dropped their order to like 100 heads a week. And so then we've got hundreds of heads out in the field that we were planning to deliver that we planted for that, and now we got to find another way to sell them. So you know, it's been consistent. It's been a great way to move that lettuce for the last two years, but then they just drop you. So you gotta be prepared for that kind of stuff. But there are, there are uh, pretty big pros to working with restaurants. So if you, can, if you can get in with a few and you can deal with them and you can get a good, a good um, relationship going with that restaurant, it can be very good. Restaurants will pay a high price. Um, we do a... Yeah, high-end restaurants. I mean, we're, we're dealing with restaurants in, in Nashville that are very expensive. We're not dealing with like Subway or something. Um, so we, 
We take a 20% cut, I think, um, from our, our market prices. So that's our, that's our price for restaurants, and it's quite a bit higher than you're going to get at a store. And they can be consistent, they can be un inconsistent, but if you can, if you can get a, a um, good relationship going with the restaurant, you can have a pretty consistent um, orders with them. And you know, they may, they may uh, change at some point, but like with the situation with the lettuce, we had it for a few years, it was very much worth it for that time. And they cut it back a little bit, but you just kind of have to roll with that, and it's worth it's worth the uh, risk. I wouldn't you wouldn't want to base your farm off restaurants. I don't think because they're they're more of a of a risk. But removing excess, and one of the restaurants we've been dealing with, it was great throughout the summer. They they um, would take fifty percent or more of everything we had left over at the end of market. We would just call up the chef and we'd say, this is what we have. Um, and I mean, we'd be moving a few hundred dollars after market and we'd come back with hardly anything most weeks. So that was a, that was a great interaction with, with a restaurant and worked out through the summer. Restaurants will generally order um, large orders. They've got many uh, people coming through every day and we, we've got one restaurant that we're trying to get built up with but having a little bit of, of trouble with that. But they're, they're asking for like, um, I'm trying to remember, it was like 14 crates of head lettuce a week and seven crate, like bushel crates of kale and very large quantities. And restaurants are very focused on quality that is a pro, but it also can be a con. If your produce doesn't quite meet up to that quality standard that they have, like we had with the arugula, they'll just say they don't want it and you go home with it. Um, but it can also be a pro because they'll pay a higher price for that quality. So if you can have the quality that the restaurants are wanting, then, it's, then it can be definitely in your benefit and you'll get that higher price. So food hubs um, is another another area that we deal with, and it's mostly dealing with restaurants. I don't know if you all are familiar with food hubs, but it's, it's a central, a central uh, organization that kind of works with the farmers and with the restaurant and kind of is that middleman so that you don't have to deal directly with the restaurants. And it can be very helpful. So we deal with one food hub and we sell to many restaurants through them. Um, the cons of that is that you don't have that direct communication with the with the um, chef or the restaurant, which is lower maintenance. It's easier to deal with, but if they get a box of something and they don't really like it, they feel like the quality, you know, there was something about it that they didn't like, that might be something that you could have easily changed if you had the communication with them. They say, you know, this lettuce, it was a little bit, whatever, you know, it was too big. And you can say, well, we'll cut it a little smaller and you could keep dealing with them. But instead they might just move to another farm that has a lettuce that they like just because you don't have that communication with them and they don't necessarily, you can't, 
grow more specifically to, to their needs. So that can be one con. You get more of a price cut from the food hubs um, because the restaurant's paying the same price as they would to you and the food hub is taking 15, 20% of that. Um, so that's a con. Um, but food hubs are very, very good to deal with and we've, we have one uh, Nash, uh, Nashville grown in our area and we've dealt with them for many years and it's ve been very good becoming more and more consistent. Um, our orders this winter have been very, very consistent and we had struggled with it being an hour drive to deliver and you list up all your stuff and you get an order for like $20 and then you got to drive an hour for that. So we did struggle with it a little bit when we were getting going, but now we have very consistent orders and we don't really worry about listing up um, and having to take a, a trip to town just to deliver because it'll generally be at least a couple hundred dollars. Um, so that was not dealing directly with the consumer was a con and it's also a pro um, just because it's a whole lot easier to to uh, go list your stuff up and the restaurants will go order. It's a whole lot easier to do that than to be contacting all the chefs individually, giving them your fresh sheet for the week and you know texting them what they want. Then you got five chefs texting you and you're trying to deal with all that. So it, it is both a pro and a con to not have that direct communication with the consumer. Um, low maintenance, I kind of touched on that, but you're not, you're not having that, that time spent communicating um, with, with our food hub. Well, we kind of have, have two, but I'll touch on the other one a little later. But with our food hub that deals with restaurants, I go on Monday, our order days are Tuesday and Thursday. And so before noon on Monday and Wednesday, I have to update our you know, what we have for the week. And it takes me five minutes maybe. And so I've got 10 minutes in that, you know, dealing with those restaurants. And I might have 20 minutes just dealing with one restaurant, talking to the chef on the phone. Um, so it is, it is lower maintenance. And you're serving many restaurants. So we, I don't know on average, but we generally probably have eight to 12 orders from that many restaurants each Tuesday and Thursday. So you're dealing with a whole lot more restaurants um, and you're just making that one delivery. Whereas if you were dealing directly with the restaurant, you'd have to go here and there. And um, so it saves time, but it's just, you get that price cut for the food hub and possi possibly losing sales because of not having that communication directly with the consumer. And you collectively will get large orders. Um, you have some restaurants, I don't know what they do with it, but they'll order like three heads of lettuce and like this is a restaurant, I don't know what they're doing with that. But um, with, with all your restaurants together, you, you'll have generally a, a pretty consistently large orders because you've got the bigger area to pull from all the restaurants. 
And then we have online market. And so between online market and food hubs, um, we have another, another, I don't know if you, I guess you consider it a food hub, but it's a guy that lives, he's pretty, he's pretty close to us, about 20 minutes from us. And he does a online market that is pooling from, I don't know how many farms, but four or five at least different farms. So it's kind of like a food hub where we list up our product with him and he's got, he's got two himself and, a, and another farm um, that are kind of, you know, first priority and then his, his farms are kind of ranked. So if you tell him what you have, he'll say this and this we, don't, we can't get from the farms that have priority over you. So you can't necessarily count on selling. Like we generally don't sell lettuce through him just because everybody else is growing lettuce. Right now, carrots is pretty much the only thing we're selling through him. Um, but it's, a, it's an online market that people order. He gets it from a few different farms and does a delivery and people just come and pick it up. So it's, it technically, I guess, would be a food hub because he's that middleman for everybody else between the farm and the consumer. I would say if you're, if you're starting up in your area, just search for food hubs, local food hubs in your area and just contact them. Um, with the one we deal with, it's easy. You just go online and you put in your farm, put in your, you know, something about your farm, a little bio, and you can just list stuff up. You don't really have to have to have any, like, I don't think there's really much as far as them accepting you as being a producer because the restaurants, it's really as far as, um, like what the rest, what's the, what they're looking for as far as the food hub and what the restaurants are looking for. The food hub is just is just the middleman. So if you list up something that nobody's looking for, you just won't sell it. But the food hub, the whoever's running the food hub doesn't really like go through your farm and you know have to accept you. I mean, I think there is with with our food hub. I think there is a little bit of like you have to they you send an email. They have to accept you, but it's not hard to get in. And I don't know what other food hubs are like, but I would assume that they're all pretty much the similar, that you just um, go onto their website and list up your farm and what you have. Was there another question I thought I saw? No. So the online market um, takes more maintenance you have to do the same thing like the food hubs where we just go online and list up what we have. And that doesn't take too long, but then you get, you know, 10, 15 orders and you have to go out and harvest individually for each of those orders. And then you've got to pack each box kind of um, separately. And it definitely takes longer than like packing a CSA because everything's the same for CSA. With the online market, you got to pack each person's box individually. So it takes a little, a little bit more maintenance and time. And with the, with the online market, your orders are generally gonna be pretty small. Um, it's just people that want a little extra for a gathering they have or something. And it's definitely not a consistent 
way to uh, sell. I would say for the most part, the people that buy through our online market are people that don't want to commit to a CSA. So they don't want to have to be getting produce every week. So it's not as consistent. The pros um, is just that it's a good way to move excess. You don't have, you don't, um, you're not committed to anything with the online market. It's just, at least with ours, we're not promising that we'll have produce for these people every week. Um, if we have it, they can order it. So we pretty much are just using it for moving excess that we're not selling to our more reliable um, venues. Definitely less pressure on the farmer and the consumer. With a CSA, you have to fill that box every week and the consumer they don't have to pick it up, but <laughs> they are paying for it. They have to pay for it. So they pretty much are, are uh, committed to getting that produce every week. Um, so the online market is definitely less pressure than the, than the CSA. How we are using it is more of a value added, um, more than a main source of income. And yeah, more than a main source. Um, what our main goal for our online market is to, to be kind of an addition to our CSA. So on Sunday, you know, our CSA delivers around Tuesday. So on Sunday, we'll try and send out to all our CSA members what's in their box. And then they can look at what they're getting in their box and they can look at what we have on the online market and they can say, well, it'd be nice to add a couple pounds of potatoes and some kale or something. Um, so we're not, we're not trying to use the uh, online market as a, as a real main source of, of our income. And like I mentioned, it's just a nice addition to the CSA for them to be able to order small quantities of extra that, they, that they're not getting in their box that week. So that's it. Um, any questions on those, on those different venues for selling? That is something that we are actually not, okay, the question was how to make the fresh list if we have a software that we're using. Um, that's something that we're still, we're still moving towards, um, dealing directly with restaurants. We only have one, I think we only have one restaurant at this point that we've, that we've really been dealing directly with. Most all of our restaurants have been through the food hub. Um, and I'd like to deal more directly, but um, like I said, it's a little more maintenance, but as far as, as far as the fresh list, um, just because it's one restaurant, I just text the chef, just say, this is what we have this week. And I know there's, you know, they're not, they're not looking for a huge variety of stuff. I know enough, like the, the restaurant where we deal with, they want kale, they want lettuce, they want beets, um, arugula, baby arugula, it's got to be the right size. Um, and baby spinach. Those are like the five things that they've told us that they're looking for. And they do, do, they do a special every week. Like they try and get a local something and they have a, a special for the week. So we have had times where in the summer we sell them like 40 pounds of okra or something. They do fried okra for the week as a special. We did green beans one week as a special. 
But other than that, so I'll tell them if I have something that's, if I have large quantity of something else that they're not, that they haven't asked about. Um, you know, I'll tell them that I've got large quantity of this and see if they want to run a special on that for the week. Other than that, I'll just tell them the, out of the five or six things that I know they use, I'll tell them which ones I have and how much I have of it. And I've just been doing it through texting. But if you're wanting to deal with a lot of restaurants, you, it's a whole lot easier if you have a fresh sheet that you can just send out to all of them at the same time. Any other questions? How to get rid of the excess produce. Our, our main, our main um, venue, I think, for excess produce, I would probably say would be the Nashville Grow and the Food Hub. Um, we don't, so all of the, I don't know, what did I, five, four different areas that I mentioned, um, all of those are, I would say, are all pretty much moving excess produce. We grow for CSA and for farmer's markets, and we grow, we plant maybe like 30% extra. And so if you have a good crop, you got a good amount of extra. But I would say that all of the areas that I've said, I would like to be dealing with restaurants more growing specifically for restaurants, but the online market and the food hub dealing with restaurants, um, those are all ways that we move our excess. We don't, we don't grow for the food hub unless we have a, a um, standing order. The lettuce, I was saying that they were ordering 200 heads a week. That was through the food hub. Um, our, our guy that runs our food hub, he's, he's pretty good and he will, he will find standing orders for you. Um, so we do have some standing orders through the food hub, but unless we have a standing order, all of that is just moving excess produce. We didn't, we didn't give them any more of a discount than we do just if we were growing it for them, 20% discount from our um, market prices. Yeah. All right, so my mom is going to share about the CSA. So I would say we've saved the best for last. <laughs> it's, um, it's interesting that when we first heard about CSAs, I thought, they were terrible because who would want to get produce when you didn't, maybe you didn't want that produce. So let me ask you this, how many of you actually know what CSAs are? So I make sure I, very good, very good. It's an educated group. So um, we sort of were thrown into doing CSAs in 2004 and we started with a winter, 2003. I stand corrected, 2003. And, um, I'll just say, it's been the best. I, I just know it's what God wants us to do on our farm. And I, I feel like it's, um, yeah, well, well, we'll talk about it, and I'll, I'll show you. So Joshua and I talked about, the reason all the cons are, for, are first is because he and I both prefer to hear the bad news first. And then the, you end with the good news, right? So I hope we're going to, okay. And do I just click this for the titles? So here are the, con these are our CSA boxes and I'll say we use a plastic tote um, that you can see there, it's nine inches tall and about, I think like 21 or 22 inches long and I think about 12 or 14 inches wide. Is that about right? Um, 
Monoflow is the place that we, that we got our totes from, the brand. We've had those boxes for a lot of years, a lot of years. And, and so here's a couple of pluses with, with the Monoflow boxes or any kind of plastic tote. It just keeps the, the produce fresh. In the summertime, we've seen other CSAs, they might bring it in a cardboard box, a, a waxed cardboard box meant for produce. And, you know, by the time that produce has sat in the back of their vehicle and sat on a shelf at farmer's market, you know, you come to get it and the lettuce is just all wilty and, you know, but when we open our boxes, they're just always, wow, it's beautiful. It takes people's breath away in a way. It's like, oh, wow. So here are the cons. CSA is not as lucrative as a lot of others. You know, John shared this morning about all those farms that are really doing very well from a business perspective. And I won't say none of them, but I'll say almost none of them are doing CSA. It's just not as lucrative. We grow a lot of prop, crops. Well, let me tell you, that's the next one. You have to grow a lot more variety. So we grow a lot of crops. For example, corn. Corn is not a high dollar crop. Nobody trying to make a living doing small farming. I shouldn't say nobody, but very few are growing corn. Um, even at our farmer's market, very few are growing corn. It takes a lot from your soil. It's just not a high dollar. And yet we grow it for our CSA members. So with the CSA, you have to do a lot more variety. In a sense, you're sort of indebted to them. You know, our customers will pay us, some of them, up front. Um, our seasons are roughly, if they get a box, a full share, it's like around $700 per season. Um, and that's, you know, we've got we've to produce that food. We can't, you know, not, not deliver what they've paid for. So, but there are many more pros than cons to the CSA. And this, we love this, you know, in the summertime or even in the winter, it's with the carrots. But you know, you open the box and the kids' hands go in, oh, I want that. <laughs> and when they're, they're taking for good things, carrots and blueberries and strawberries, and it just, we feel good. We're enriching their health. So one of the pros is that it's consistent. You can count on it. So you can actually budget. It's like the bread and butter for us. You can plan exactly what you need to grow. So we know if we're gonna have a 100 member CSA, um, we know we're gonna grow, you know, 100, we need 100 stalks of celery in the end, so we're gonna plant 150. And that's why we have something to sell to the food hubs. Um, again, it's just dependable, you can budget. Here's some more pros. It's relational. And that's the big, that's a big pro. You know, Joshua was sharing about the restaurants and, you know, they will drop you the moment you, they don't need you anymore. You know, it's just a very one-sided relationship. You know, we had this great deal with a restaurant going in the spring where aftermarket, we'd call them and literally, we would drive over to their place and put most everything we had left from our market in their cooler. It was amazing. So, but this winter, they've just kind of 
set us on the back burner. They've said, oh, we want this and this and this. Joshua will text them. They don't respond. It's just very, it's finicky. It's a one-sided relationship. <laughs> you know, we do the best we can, but um, with the CSA, it is relational. So this is my sister. That's what she, she says. She's not really my sister. I don't have a sister. But I took this picture on Tuesday, <laughs> and I told her, I might put that in a slide presentation I'm doing on CSA. She said, well, you just tell them I'm the lost sister <laughs> that you never tell anybody about. <laughs> that's her famous. That's Jane. But so let me tell you about my relationship with Jane. We've known them for about mm, maybe 10 years. And I believe that the Lord moved them to the Nashville area so that we could cross paths because they came from Louisiana where they had both grown up their whole life. They came, they came to the county they live in because they wanted the school system there. We met them. The boy standing next to Jane, both of their boys are adopted. The boy standing next to Jane was just a toddler. Um, I think he's 12, so he must have been about two. And um, they just moved up there. They were thinking ahead. Well, now they homeschool. They have, they have homeschooled him throughout. And the next one, uh, the next boy, Jean-Pierre, I'll never forget, I was doing CSA delivery and she came running out of her car to me. She said, Pam, I just have to tell you something. Now, mind you, Long before that, she had told us, she had asked us to pray for them, that the Lord would bring them another child. And she got it. She said, I haven't told anybody, but I just got to tell somebody. She said, the Lord has given us another baby. And they were getting him that very week. And that's the second boy. Um, they've been to baptisms. We've studied the Bible together. They were attending, they attended Kirsten's wedding. Um, it's just, they're not just customers to us. They are dear friends. She has opened her heart to me. We have prayed for situations in their family. Um, it's just, that's what it's about. It's about the relationships. I can't tell you of the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we've made from our farm, but I can tell you about the people that we are getting to know. So it's, it's relational. It's evangelistic. Now, I can't tell you, we have this many baptisms from, um, you know, what we've done on our farm. I can't tell you that. But I could tell you a lot of other stories about other people like Jane that our lives have interfaced with let me share this quote with you. This was Christ's method. His work was largely made up of personal interviews. He had a faithful regard for the one soul audience. Through that one soul, the message was often extended to thousands. Christ Object Lessons 229. That's what it's about. To me, that's what it's about. So this is this is another one of my CSA ladies that I have mentored, I would say. She is a young mom with two young children. 
You know, when I get ready to do a CSA delivery, and this was a de delivery that I was doing for Joshua last week, and I just said, I'm gonna get some pictures that are fresh. Um, so this, this is my group of people. I minister to them all summer long, and Joshua kind of takes the winter. So I hadn't seen them for quite a while. But um, this, this gal has just been through lots of experiences in life. And, you know, when I do CSA, I just pray, Lord, give me that one-on-one um, -on -one time. Lord, control how the people come to the CSA pickup. You know, that they don't all come at once. That if there's somebody that I need to connect with one-on-one, -on -one, just orchestrate you know, delay some, help some to come faster, whatever. And it, it's, it's always that way. And so I have had so many times when Jessica and I were there at a delivery alone where she would just open her heart to me and share things that she needed prayer about. And what a privilege. I tell them what a privilege it is to enter into your world and to pray for you. I've watched those little girls grow up. When they came out of the van this last Tuesday, they didn't know I was going to be doing the delivery. <laughs> and I just saw them bound across to see me, and oh, it just warmed my heart. Christ's method alone, excuse me, will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good he showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. There is need of coming close to the people by personal effort. If less time were given to sermonizing and more time were spent in personal ministry, greater results would be seen. Ministry of Healing 143. To me, that's what it's about. I mean, I just can't tell you. It's, you know, the CSA is about evangelism. We are on the front lines 100% of our CSA members are non-Seventh-day Adventists. The only ones that are Adventists are my in-laws, and we have two neighbors who are Adventists who get boxes from us. But you know, it's like, so that constant, we have just felt like it is the perfect, the perfect living in the country message and working the cities. People say we need to work the cities, and I agree, but we need to work them from country outposts. What a better way. You know, when we take food to people, when you feed people, you create a bond that is much stronger than the food that you're giving them. You know, I have some customers and I think, I don't even know why they stay in the CSA, but I think it's just the relationship. You know, the picture before Jessica, she said, you know, I could go in there to Whole Foods and buy my food, but she said, I am so spoiled to get it directly from you all. You know, we're friends. Who wouldn't choose to support their friend as compared to some great big corporation?
So that's for us. You know, when the Lord called us to farm, we started with the strawberries, but the call to us was very clear, and that was it was a call to serve. And yes, we sell to restaurants, yes, we sell to, but I believe that the service that we are really called to is this. So the, the question was that just making the, the, the note that some CSAs will just drop off and people come to a central location and pick up their stuff. Um, that is actually what we do, but we are committed that most of the time, I mean, there's a the rare occasion, but we're committed that one of our family members will do the delivery. And that's, a, that's very unusual because most people consider that the delivery is something you can just hire somebody for 10 bucks an hour and send them off with your, you know, and they can deliver the produce. And, but because we view this as our ministry, it's vital that we're there. You know, sometimes, of course, our apprentices are involved, but not so much in the CSA deliveries as they are in our markets, which the markets are a wonderful funnel for the CSA. So the picture before here of Jessica, she was first a market customer. And when Whole Foods set us aside, and I, I used to set up a market stand in front of the store. It was a win-win for them and me. Um, but it didn't work last year. But anyway, when they didn't allow us to do that, some of my really faithful customers from the market just funneled in and have become CSA members. So any other questions? Yes. Okay, again, it's about the location and certain hours. Yes, I have a lo certain locations. So people can pick up on the farm. Um, we have the smallest group on the farm. Um, and then like this delivery that I do, we actually are in the, in the parking lot of a grocery store, Whole Foods. And I'm there for a set time from 4.30 to 6. And they just come at their leisure and they bring their own bags they empty their boxes, um, but it just gives a lot of time. When the weather is good, there's a lot of visiting. You know, it's, it's definitely a social, and, and I'm one to introduce different CSA customers, so I've seen the CSA customers themselves interacting, you know. So it's, it's becoming, more, especially that group that I deal with, becoming more of a, you know, a networking. They know one another. We have four delivery locations that we deal with and uh, for our CSA. The, the observation, see technology is something, she's already been on Monoflow's site, <laughs> and she was just saying that they come in an insulated box, and she's wondering if we use that. I didn't know that, and no, we don't. So I would say this, probably the insulated boxes would be really good, they would be, um, but they're not necessary. I mean, we've done it all these years, and, um, in the, in the hottest days of the summer, I can tell you when we open that lid, nothing is wilted. It's just the moisture, um, ideally, and, and, and usually for us, we have had them in the cooler. So if you, the thing is, if you take produce from the field and it's got all that field heat on it and you don't, you don't have a good way to cool it, then it's gonna wilt no matter what you do with it. So it's important when you, when you harvest it, to harvest it in a way that you can you know, put it in cold water, you can put it in refrigeration. Are you gonna talk about our refrigerator or should I just? Good question, how do you find CSA customers? 
you know, it's becoming much more competitive. You know, when we started our CSA, when we started farming, um, literally, there were less than a half a dozen of us in the Nashville area doing what we're doing. And today, there are probably, I don't know, maybe three dozen. I mean, it's just so. And we, we first started with the winter CSA, and we actually have only had our, C, our, our summer CSA for four seasons. And so we built that up when the market already became big. So I would say that part, largely it's through word of mouth. Um, for it's, I remember one con that I don't think, did I see, did it come up? Um, one of the cons with CSA is that it's really not a beginner's place. It's not where you start. It's really, my husband would call it like, you know, your master's degree. It's because there's a lot more at stake. You know, you really have to know how to grow. And so um, if you start with a farmer's market, that's a great funnel then to a CSA. So if you do a farmer's market for a season or two and it goes well and you have good variety and you feel like, you know, you have your growing down fairly well, then you just branch out to doing um, a small CSA and let your, your excess be sold at farmer's market. Um, but then word of mouth is, is good. And we've done, you know, we have advertised in different places and different ways. Yeah, where are those? <laughs> um, you're talking about the, the family. So for us, one of our niches, or one of our, I guess that's not a niche, but how we separate ourselves from the masses is that we're a family. And we very much promote that we're a family. And we not just a family, but our apprenticeship. And so that's very appealing. Our customers love each year meeting our new apprentices. It's becoming very, um, just something that they look forward to. And they enjoy getting to know them. And the, you know, sometimes people will say, where do you get your apprentices? Because we have the most amazing apprentices. Of course, it's because we get them from our own circles of Adventism, largely, you know? And so they're just, kids who, who bring to the face of our farm just what the image that we want to portray. Um, but anyway, what, oh, so that's just something that we have done. And that's why a family member always goes to delivery because we're trying to create a relationship. You know, other farms show their farm crew and it's, you know, a whole slew of hired workers. Um, and so you just have to figure out, you know, what, what do you have to offer that somebody else doesn't have to offer? The question is, how do we prepare our produce for the boxes? Of course, it depends on what it is. But one thing, the Lord has given us so much favor in the eyes of the people. And I just, I praise him. I give him the credit. You know, at Farmer's Market, we can have the same strawberries, the same whatever as the guy next to us. And we will have a very long line and people will wait in the line to get it from us. Why? I, I think it's because number one, it's prayed over. And number two, the Lord just makes it taste good, you know? And I'm not saying he's not gonna make somebody else's taste good, but we ask him to do it. So when we are, when we are preparing our vegetables um, or when we are harvesting them, we try to harvest at the, the optimum times. So that would be morning and evening, not in the heat of the day. So like if we're harvesting lettuce, 
We harvest it, we triple wash it. When they get it, it's ready to use. A lot of CSAs will not do that. They kind of take the, well, you're, you know, we grew it and part of the joy is that you get to take the dirt off of it. We just recognize that the people we're serving are very busy and they want it clean and we want to give it to them clean. So like our carrots, we grow a lot of carrots this time of year. And, um, you know, harvest, Joshua harvested last week 450 pounds of carrots. That's a lot of carrots. We wash them with a pressure washer. Um, so there's just, the bottom line is we try to give them everything clean. So the only things that we might not like wash would be watermelons, cantaloupe. Um, sometimes our, our zucchini and yellow squash don't get washed if we don't have time, our peppers. But if we have time, we'll take our peppers even and we will, you know, we will put them in and, and really give them a wash so that they look really nice and clean. Any specific vegetables you were wondering about? Yes, and so we wash it and we put it in these same CSA bins, holds the moisture in, and then we put it in the cooler. Okay, so now she's asking about how we pack for CSA. And we've done it a couple of ways. Um, in the, in the, well, up until this last season, we would lay, like say we were doing 45 CSA boxes. We would just put out um, eight foot tables and we would put the boxes on them in our, in our packing area. And then as the lettuce would come in from the field, we would wash the lettuce and we'd put it in the boxes. Um, but there was a fair bit of, even if it was the same space, you know, like for me to the stage, I'm walking over there maybe with a bin of lettuce and you know, it's back and forth. And so one thing that my husband had wanted to try for a long time was kind of the assembly line package where we we harvest all the produce, we put it in the cooler, and when we're ready to pack it, we have a stack of CSA bins. We put our produce all out on the table, and the CSA bins move by, and you're just putting it in as it goes. We can pack, we can pack um, 45 boxes like that in about, I think, 20 minutes. I haven't been involved with it for this season, and this is the first season we've done it that way, but I think across the board, everybody has felt like it was, a, it was a good improvement. One thing, and I'm sure John is, has said this some, but you always have to be looking for ways to save time. It's about efficiency. You know, it's about efficiency. And so if you can save off, shave off a few minutes here or a few minutes there, um, that's the goal. <laughs> John could answer that better. But I would just say that we go by what we know our customers want. You know, we grow a wide variety especially in the winter. You know, in the winter, they always get carrots, they always get lettuce, they always get greens. But being greens, one week it might be kale, the next week it might be collard, the next week it might be Swiss chard, the next week it might be turnips. And so there's quite a bit of variety, and that's what was Joshua was saying. So when we send out the list of what's gonna be in the box, if they're getting kale that week, but they really love collards, they can go on our online market and order. That has huge potential. We haven't, we haven't begun to tap into that market yet because you know, we're not sending out the CSA list until Tuesday you know, or Monday night, and then they don't have time to order. So as we perfect that, you know, we, have some fam we have one family right now. Um, they get two full shares. They get two boxes, plus they order more than 
what they're paying for each of those boxes. So they might, you know, our boxes are $39 a piece in the winter, and just this last week they ordered $45 additional of produce. You know, so that's, that's your, the high end of what you could expect, but the lower end is that a lot of people will, will order 10 or $20 extra. And we do, we always do a survey and ask, but I, I personally don't think the survey is that helpful because everybody has an opinion. You know, some people, you could give them potatoes in every single box and they would be so happy. And other people, after a month of seeing Irish potatoes, they're like, oh, we've had enough potatoes. But we really aim to, to not wear them out on any one thing. That's our goal. I guess this will be the last one my husband's telling me. <laughs> so the question is, if um, we, when we send something out, do we send them what's going to be in the box? And, and the answer is yes. So we would send them on, on Sunday. This is what you're going to be getting in your box. And let me just add this, too, that I didn't mention. Um, another way that we use the CSA to really be a platform for sharing Christ is that um, one of us, usually myself, I send something out every week of a, just a little what's happening on the farm or what's happening in the family. And a lot of times I'm able to, to weave into that um, spiritual things, something that, you know, is, is going on um, and, and point them in a spiritual direction. I had, a, I had an experience this spring where I went to California for, to be with a friend who was dying, and I missed a couple of deliveries. And when I, when I wrote the CSA, the first CSA newsletter that I wrote, I just shared from my heart what it had been like and some of that and the hope that I have in Christ and the hope that we have in the second coming and just the, some of the experiences that the Lord had given me in that opportunity, um, some of the blessing that had come through. And it was amazing to me that how many, not just the ladies, but how many men that picked up that delivery spoke to me about that communication. John just sent out, every, every January, he sends out a state of the farm address. And I had just heard from one of our customers, you know, that just touched my heart. It just, you know, we have to respond, you know. Just, there is, um, yeah, again, I would just say the biggest reason that we feel that CSAs are where Seventh-day Adventist farmers need to be is because it's an opportunity to sow seeds, the only seeds that you can sow that have eternal value. Lettuce seeds have no eternal value except the relationships that can be built through them. And so I just, um, that's our testimony. We love it. And um, may the Lord bring a great harvest from the seeds that we sow and the seeds that you will sow. Okay, I always get choked up when my wife talks because it, it's so personal to us. You know, it, it, it's not just a business. And, you know, to see eternal results is, is really exciting. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio 
and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.